welcome to Speak a Dogcast. My name is David Farb, Animal Behavior Specialist, and I'm broadcasting from WOUF Wolf Studios in beautiful Palm City, Florida. Thank you so much for joining me once again today. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes, well, they normally come out every Wednesday, <laughs> but some of you regular listeners out there, you may have noticed there was a brief hiatus. Actually, a little bit of an, I mean, for, for my podcast, it was an extended hiatus. I've never taken that many weeks off. I think it was almost a month. I mean, I think I've only taken a week off at a time uh, and not that many. So I have to sincerely apologize that I was a little absent there for a little while. It was an unplanned hiatus. It was not really, you know, set up. We weren't really planning to do that. So again, apologies, apologies. We're back at it though. New episodes will be coming out every Wednesday again. So click that subscribe button. Now guys, there's a lot going on. Uh, just to be honest, a lot going on personal, professionally, personally, professionally, uh, for me right now, a lot up in the air, juggling a lot of different things. So that's kind of why the unplanned hiatus happened. I'll catch you guys up in a couple weeks on everything going on there. But for now, Hey, click that subscribe button. New episodes coming out every Wednesday. You can also check out my Instagram page at Speak a Dogcast. Go on over, check it out. Uh, even better, you know, the, the fact that we were actually able to take a little bit of time off has allowed us to focus on some things with the podcast as well that we're going to boost, like the Instagram page. I've been a little absent from there as well. I have to apologize for that too, but we're coming back. And one of the things we're going to start doing is training tip Tuesdays. Yes, training tip Tuesdays. It's going to be every Tuesday on the Instagram, giving you guys a weekly training tip. So be sure you subscribe and check it out every week. We're going to be bringing more content to the Instagram as well. So again, check it on out. Now you can also find my used, uh, YouTube page. Go on over there, subscribe to that youtube.com slash speak a dogcast. If you love what you're seeing, love what you're hearing, click that thumbs up. As always guys with the podcast, scroll on down, give me the five-star rating, leave me a review. I would love to hear it. If you guys love what you're hearing. Yes. Now on today's show, we are going to get to know your dog. Do you truly know your dog? Everybody thinks they know their dog and sure you do. It's your dog. But do you really? Do you know them at their core? Do you know them from the ground up? Are you doing everything you can to enhance that relationship with your dog by getting to know them? Talk more in depth about that. Then comes a segment for the vet techs. Yes, this one's for the vet techs, vet, veterinary technicians. You guys are amazing. Thank you for everything you do. At the same time, have a listen. <laughs> then comes the history of animal mascots 101, followed by the listener Q&A. If you guys have any questions for the listener, uh, question and answer, feel free to just email me, questions at speakadogcast.com, or you can message me on social media, dog training, animal training, animal related, anything related, send those questions on over and keep them coming. Yes. Now, before we get going with today's show, I have to give you that trivia question. Today's question is going to be, what semi-aquatic animal has the largest teeth of any living land mammal? Yes, what semi-aquatic animal has the largest teeth of any living land mammal? I will give you the answer to that question somewhere in today's show, so be sure you stick around, sit, stay, and enjoy the show. Next on Speak a Dogcast, get to know your dog. can probably already hear it out there. David, I know my dog. I know my dog better than you do. And in some ways, you are 100% correct. And in other ways, maybe not so much. Look, if you really think about it, what is a dog trainer or animal behavior specialist or dog behavior, or whatever the title might be, anybody who works with dogs and people, what is our job? Our job really is to bridge a communication gap because that is what is happening when we have behavioral issues with dogs, right? Like that's kind of how you have to think about it. If we have a behavioral issue going on, the reason most likely is because of a communication breakdown. 
There is a gap in our communication that is not allowing us to connect the dots we're looking for and get the end result. And so in some way, whether we like to recognize it or not, in some way, maybe we don't know our dogs. It's food for thought. You know, if we have an expert coming in telling us something we don't know or maybe something we're doing wrong because we don't, right? We, we lack knowledge to do it correctly. Well, then in some way, we don't know our dog. And so it's important that we try to connect with our dog in multiple ways, not just in a cuddling, adorable, sweet, affectionate way, but in a way that truly gains an understanding and a perspective for who they are, not only as an individual dog, as an individual fluffy, but also on the bigger picture, in the bigger whole, as a dog. Psychologically, behaviorally, do you truly know your dog? Now look, one thing I want to kind of let's 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 just make sure we distinguish when I say get to know you know get to know your dog and knowing your dog, having an emotional response to what your dog is thinking or how your dog is acting. That's not really knowing your dog. That's humanizing your dog. That's anthropomorphizing your dog and putting your own emotions sort of all. It's like transference. It's you know it's kind of what we call transference. In a way, we put our own emotions onto it on how we might interpret what that behavior is, but in reality, that's not the behavior that's actually going on. So we kind of need to distinguish and understand, guys, when people are all funny and cutesy and sure, I'm guilty of it sometimes too, and you go, oh, Fluffy's thinking this or doing that, or we have to know and understand Fluffy isn't really thinking or doing these things we think they are. As much as we might want them to be, they're not. As the reality is, look, if, it, if a dog was acting the way we emote, uh, we put our emotions on, if a dog started acting the way that we portray them, they wouldn't be a dog anymore. <laughs> like, like, think about it. If they're not acting like a dog and they're acting like human, they're giving off human traits and human tendencies, well, then they're not acting like much of a dog anymore now, are they? So something to consider when we get to know our dog, when you get to know your dog. So to me, look, I have gained success in training and working with dogs because I do things in a certain order. And we're going to talk about this order today because this is very important. You have to get to know your dog in the right order. What, what, the, what does that mean? <laughs> Let's get into it. So look, we have to understand what a dog is first. I mean, a dog is an animal. That's where it starts. They're an animal creature on this planet. They're an animal. That's like the most basic way of putting it. And we start getting down to, to mammals and then to canines. And then, you know, we can start classifying and getting closer and closer to finally the very last point, And that's the individual. Because as many golden retrievers as I have cha- uh, trained over the years, as many Labradors as I probably two of the most common breeds I've seen over and over again, as many of those dogs, as many doodles as I've trained over the years, there always is still this individuality. Each dog is their own dog to some degree. They still have their own individual personality. Look, I had a golden retriever named Colby Jack. There will never be another Colby Jack like him ever, ever again. He was Colby Jack. His individual experiences, his genetics, everything that goes into creating, and just like you and I, creating an individual personality. We can never take that away from a dog. However, like I said, that's the last on the chain. Whether we want to, again, this is one of those things, if we want to recognize it or not, 
on the chain of what makes up a dog, and for that matter, even a human being, the individual is the last part of the chain. We started way over here, and when we talk about uh, domestication processes and such, and we talk about creating dogs from wolves, um, you know, we're talking about something that's that's down the chain so far from the individual that's created it that there is a separation and it's okay. Like it's okay to recognize this separation and understand it because the more you understand everything going on between eons ago, how long is an eon? Maybe not eons. Uh, (laughs) That's right. Like a million years, I think it's been too long. Um, If we, if we look at all that space that's in between, you see what I'm saying? Kind of see the visual of it. Here's the individual. Here's where we started to, all of this in, in between stuff kind of gets forgotten. We go, Oh, they're little wolves. And, Fluffy's a little wolf, right? Fluffy's a little wolf. We talk about like here and here, the extreme. There's no in-between. Where is the in-between? So what is this in-between I speak of? Look, a lot of it is the way they are individual, or not, excuse me, individually, the way are they are grouped and hardwired as a canine, as a dog. That's where a lot of this starts. So when I go in and I start working with a dog, I'm looking, at, you know, it's, it's kind of second nature now, but I'm looking at this line, if you will, along... It's a canine, then a dog, right? Then the breed, then Fluffy, then the individual. And the thing is, the reason trainers and behaviors and behavior specialists, all of the reason we all have any success is because we understand that order and we look at our dogs and our client dogs as dogs. Not as Fluffy who just can't be trained to do this one thing and no matter what we do, you just can't do it. You know, how many times have I walked into a house and someone goes, oh, it just can't be done. It just can't be done. And within five, 10 minutes, we're, we're, we're doing it. We're on the road to doing it. Lack of understanding and a lack of knowledge. They skipped all of the dog animal stuff and went right to Fluffy. Fluffy's not capable of it. Well, guys, I got news for you. Dogs are capable of it. So you're telling me Fluffy's not, but dogs on the whole are. So everything that comes before Fluffy is capable of doing this. That's that's all inside of Fluffy. You see what I'm saying here? So without that understanding of how a dog functions, how a dog learns, for that matter, wolves to some degree, how do wolves function in a social structure? Because that has trickled down into what we see before us as our dogs. Hello, no difference. Hi, I'm I'm kind of a domesticated ape here. How you doing? You are too. Welcome to the welcome to the club. Um, and we look at chimpanzees, we look at even orangutans, we look at and we look at the social structures they create, and they very closely mimic, not identical. It's not a direct reflection, clearly, because otherwise, why? Apes wouldn't be apes, they'd be humans, right? But there is this, there is this reflection we can see. It's pretty obvious. There are similarities. And that is our root, and that's where we come from. And we look at chimps, guys, as a matter of fact, a little side. What is the only animal on this planet besides human beings that wages war for no reason, unprovoked, no provocation? It's chimpanzees. What does science say? We're pretty damn close to chimps, aren't we? Human beings, what do we do? We wage war for no freaking reason. If you look at what your dog is, a dog first, It'll help you get to know them a lot better and it'll help you gain better success with their training and with your relationship with your dog. So I can't stress it enough that you have to go back. You have to look, you got to do reading. You've got to do listening. You've got to do research to gain this. This isn't an understanding that's going to be handed to you. I should have kind of started with that. Hey, disclaimer alert. You have to actually learn. Um, (laughs) Sorry. Uh, no, but seriously, this is this is the thing. You got to do your research, guys. You've got to listen to more podcast segments, not just myself. Hopefully, some other reputable trainers out there, not the 
nut job ones. There's a few of them. Um, don't get me started. Okay, so <laughs> do your research. Read up on the on the on the basics of psychology and how it works for every single animal on this planet. Because why? Like I said, I, that's where I start. I want to start with the psychology over here of every animal on this planet and work my way into a dog to down to Fluffy. You guys see what I'm saying? I keep coming back to it because to me, training, behavior, psychology, it's cumulative. You cannot have an understanding of three months in psychology class without that day one. It's just like algebra class. You absolutely cannot pass an algebra class without having all of that cumulative knowledge, uh, cumulative knowledge added up over time, ha- gaining that broader understanding. That's exactly what this mimics. It's the same thing. You have to have that understanding of how every animal learns on this planet because we all are in the same way. We've talked about it over and over. Go check out some more segments, right? Go back, peruse. There are so many segments to choose from. Uh, I highly recommend my psychology segments, Revisiting Psychology 101, The Basics of Animal Psychology, Dog Psychology, all kinds of great segments on this. So be sure you go back, check it out. Lots of great information there, okay? Um, Of course, do further reading as well. Don't just take my word for it, as I always say. Uh, Take my knowledge, take my everything I've learned over the years. Compared to everybody else, see kind of what result you get. I, I invite you to. All right, so again, general understanding of how an animal learns general psychology, working it down to a dog. Guys, let's talk about it. Let's talk about it a little in depth. What are dogs? Dogs are domesticated wolves, right? They are pack migratory animals, just like a wolf. It is in their nature. And, and, and again, this is a domesticated version. Let's talk about the wolf version. Wolf version is they were uh, designed to wake up, go for a walk as a pack. It's all about that pack mentality because pack mentality is what creates survival for them. This all goes back to instinct, very basic instinct. It creates survival. And so that pack walk, snoring behind me again, uh, that pack walk, Riker loves to snore during my episodes. It's funny, he's not a big snorer, like in general, but for some reason when I bring him in during podcast episodes, he just like, he goes nuts. Um, (laughs) I find it kind of hilarious. Anyway, it's the way he lays on the bed in here. It's very silly. Anyway, um, losing my train of thought. Wolves pack migratory animals, they get up, they, okay, so it's a bonding experience. This is how they survive. It's a survival mechanism. It finds them food, it finds them shelter, water, safety, hunting, protection, all of that stuff that pack mentality provides. And just like every other individual animal on this planet, including ourselves, there are going to be these instinctual uh, precursors, if you will, to what we now are, to what our domestication process has led to, that are always going to be in there. They're never going to disappear. Guys, the reality is you and I have instinctual uh, fulfillments that we want fulfilled, whether they be, um, you know, internal, like a, a a fulfillment in life or sexual fulfillment, or there's all these different types, entertainment, being happy, fulfillment that human beings look for. It transfers over to dogs to a much more basic level, but it's there. So when we talk about a dog and domesticating them from a wolf, we talk about the pack. We talk about the pack walk. Why do I talk about the pack walk at nauseum? Right there. There's the evidence. So again, If you want to get to know your dog, if you want to truly have success with your dog, you have to understand what they are, how they function. And that pack walk is such an important part of it, isn't it? This is how I get to that, right? This is, this is just it. Getting to know my dog allows me to go, oh, look at what I need to do to fulfill my dog. Well, they need structure. They're pack animals. They need structure. They need rules. They need boundaries. Cool. They need physical activity. They need a pack walk. Uh, Easy enough, right? Okay. (laughs) And we start to create this fulfillment and getting to know our dog. And before you know it, you're bonding better with your dog because you're tapping into those instinctual little, right? 
and they feel fulfilled and they love it and they want more of it. They crave it. They come back for it. They look at you as a leader all of a sudden. It's amazing what getting to know your dog can do to really, really, really help nurture the relationship you have with them. Now, one little side note in getting to know your dog, and I'm just going to make kind of a little, you know, like in generalized thing, and I see it a lot, um, where maybe we don't have a full household on board with training. Um, You know, I actually did a segment about this a while back that it, it takes a village was the name of the segment. It takes a village because it does. And honestly, to me, it's an advantage and a disadvantage to have a lot of kids in your house, <laughs> right? Uh, when it comes to training dogs, because it, it's it's just, it's that many more hands and and people maybe potentially not doing it right. But I like to see it as a good thing. I like to see it as something that we can also nurture in the sense that we can have everybody involved in the family. And the point I'm trying to make right now is, I sometimes find when I have one person or maybe two people out of like a family of five or whatever that's involved with the dog and the other three are not it oftentimes can create behavioral problems that can bubble up just from the simple fact that again, tapping into instinct guys, this dog lives with five people, but only two of them are really truly interacting or at least interacting in a healthy, um, in a healthy way. That's going to be conducive to good training and behavior. And it goes against the instinct of that dog to not have the people within his pack, within his household that are there all the time to not be a part of that process. And so I implore you, everybody get everybody involved in your household everybody needs to play their part i you know i wish i had actually pulled it up because it kind of just popped into my head um to talk about that episode it takes a village i don't remember what number episode that was but that was the name of the segment so you can scroll back and find that one it takes a village because honestly guys it's so important to get everybody involved and i go more in depth about how we can do that because I get it, like a six-year-old can't walk a 100-pound dog, but there are things they can do. So we'll talk more about that in that segment. I did talk more about that in that segment, so you can go check it out. Um, But again, the point I'm trying to make is this goes right back to getting to know your dog. By understanding their instinct and how they operate and how they're socially structured, having people not involved within their pack doesn't work. It doesn't work well. Occasionally it does, but most of the time it doesn't work well. There's going to be behavioral issues or something comes up or what have you. So food for thought, everybody needs to be involved in order to, to fulfill our dogs. That's just, that's the truth of it. Okay. Um, all right. So the other side of getting to know our dog and I know people, look, I, I, some of you may notice, I don't spend a ton of time talking about the affection side and it's not that I don't give affection cause clearly I do. I was loving on my Coco back here earlier. Um, It's just that everybody gives their dogs affection. We're all really good at that part. I don't need to teach you how to do that. You know what I'm saying? And unfortunately, sometimes overdoing affection can actually be a bad thing. Um, You know, we're actually going to even talk about this a little bit in the next segment as well. That sometimes too much of a good thing is not so much of a good thing. Oh, I get a belly rub for Coco. Is not so much a good thing. That's my good girl. Okay, there's a time and a place, right? So I don't talk about giving a ton of affection because you don't need, I don't need to teach you how to do that. <laughs> Again, y'all are really good at that. Uh, it's the structure that that we tend to lack, the exercise, the rules, the boundaries, the discipline. 
it, I have no problem with giving affection at the right time. So there is that side of it in getting to know your dog. Absolutely. Um, after a big walk and they're nice and tired and we're going to hang out on the couch, I'm going to have my lunch or breakfast or what have you, and I'm going to hang out with my pups and they're hanging next to me. That's even, that's affection time, believe it or not. Even having them having a nap with you. Okay. Hanging on the couch at night, going to play. Play time is affection. We're going to have play. So there's all these different ways we can incorporate affection into a healthy way of working with our dogs, as opposed to getting our dogs worked up psychotic crazy. And then we give them affection and all they learn how to do is absolutely be nuts. And all we're giving affection is, is, is uh, all the affection is meaning is overexcitement and madness and see the difference, right? So I prefer to use affection strategically rather than just give it out like crazy and make it this huge, overexciting, ridiculous thing. So just a little side note, that part is definitely important in getting to know your dog. Affection teaches your dog to trust you. Affection teaches your dog to, to, to like you, right? That's definitely a part of it, but it's not all of it, right? Rules, boundaries, discipline first, then the affection. Get to know your dog, understand how they're hardwired, and you can have a better relationship with your pup today. Are you tired of your dog barking all the time? Or maybe you want them to stop jumping on people when they come over. Or does your dog take you for a walk instead of the other way around? Well, we can help. At The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, we are committed to improving the relationships and lives people have with their pets. No matter what behavioral issue you are experiencing, from an unruly puppy to more severe issues, we can help. Our virtual training programs are catered to you and your pet and create a training plan that gets results. For more information, you can check out our website at www.thenatureoftraining.com or find us on Facebook or Instagram at Speak a Dogcast. With the ability to connect, teach, and train with pet owners around the world, together we can make a better home for our furry friends. The Nature of Training and Speak a Dogcast, helping you achieve success with your pet. Speak a dog cast for the vet decks. Now look, I want to first start off and say thank you to all of the vet technicians out there. All the vet techs who work their butts off, work long hours, underappreciated, overworked. I understand it's a tough job. You guys deal with so much. I, you know, I, I can't even imagine. Honestly, <laughs> it's bad enough I have to deal with pet parents and behavior. I can't imagine pet parents, and veterinary care. So first, I just want to say thank you. I have a lot of respect for what you do, and I appreciate everything you guys do. At the same time, I have a gripe with you. <laughs> there it was, the niceties first. Layer it, layer it. I have a gripe with you. I have a gripe with you. I have a gripe with you. And I mean this in a very nice, loving way. This is coming from a place of love, of animals. It truly is. But I have a gripe with you. It's the same gripe I have with doctors in, in the human world, to be quite honest. Um, and the veterinarians, too. But to be honest, it's more the vet techs. Um, okay, I'm going to try to be nice. And I'm sorry if I offend you. At the same time, I'm really not. Because this is just the truth from my behavioral perspective. Why on earth? Why do vet techs make dogs more anxious? There, I said it. Oh, I said it. I said it. I'm very sorry. I'm not. I am. I'm not. I am. I'm not. Okay. <laughs> Look, over the years, I have seen a lot of different veterinarian offices. I've seen a lot of different vet techs. And I just don't get why vets and vet techs, but mostly vet techs, just make the dogs nervous. It's an attempt to calm them down. But my God, 
time after time, if you see it doesn't really calm the dog down, why do we keep doing it? Why do we keep doing it? Look, years ago, I have a story. Years ago, I was at a vet's office and I had Colby Jack, my golden retriever. And look, Colby spent a lot of time in the veterinarian's office as a puppy. He had a lot of issues. He had shoulder issues. Um, he had a, a genetic, um, genetic, what do you, uh, uh, blanking on the word, doesn't matter, genetic uh, predisposed issue with his shoulder, we had to wait to have surgery, uh, we were in and out of the vet a bit to make sure it's okay, and this and that, and it was just, it was a lot, and the poor guy didn't really love the vet, not that most dogs don't, and I was new in my training, I really didn't know how to acclimate him as a puppy to make him like it better, and and some dogs, you know, just, they don't have the best experiences at the vet, you don't always know, you know, and anyway, so this one vet tech, and this is about a vet I finally actually found that I really liked to love the veterinarian. She was phenomenal, fantastic. The vet techs, on the other hand, left something to be desired, and the veterinarian even agreed with me, quite frankly. It wasn't her practice. She just worked there. <sighs> anyway, this vet tech, my, my dog is like literally sitting there shaking. I mean, just shaking on the table, and she's trying to calm him down. It's okay. It's okay. And he literally just starts shaking more and more. And here's the thing, guys. A couple things. First things first, we've talked about state of mind with dogs. If a dog is in an anxious state of mind and we give any type of reinforcement, we are only reinforcing and strengthening that behavior. Hence, Colby starting to shake even more. There's number one. Number two, when I calm my dogs down at home, right? And, and I mean, I would think, I would think when I, you know, you calm your dogs down at home, you don't go, it's okay. It's okay. Does that sound calm to you? Does that sound like you're reflecting back relaxed energy? Or does it sound like you're frantic and fearful? And, and this is, I don't know what to think. This is not a tone you normally use. That's what's probably going through the dog's brain a little bit to some degree. Like, why is this strange? Why is this different? Why are you freaking out? Why are you being panicky? This isn't normal. You're only going to get more scared. So when a vet tech is attempting to calm a dog down, you know what their first instinct is to do? Is to over-engage the dog and almost come in above them. That's like no-no number one when a dog is nervous, okay? Um, so like, I'm not trying to pick on you vet techs, but at the same time, guys, this is a problem, and I think we make dogs more anxious and scared of the veterinarian's office than we need to. Not I think, I know. I've seen veterinarians that do it correctly. I've seen vet techs that do it correctly. And the problem is it goes against our instinct and what we as human beings view as comforting. This is, this is the problem. It's again, kind of what we talked about in the last segment. It's a communication barrier. It's a, it's a disconnect between understanding this is a canine, this is a dog. They don't think like me. They don't feel like me. Yes, they feel not like me. If they did, they would be a person and not a dog. I don't know why I have to repeat this over and over. It seems pretty logical to me. Okay, so that's the first thing. So unfortunately, as human beings, our job is empathy. It's what we do. We empathize, and you know, we do. And it's not a bad thing to empathize. That's a good thing, don't get me wrong. But we empathize with a creature, with a dog, with an animal that does not have self-awareness and can't understand that empathy. I know people out there will disagree with me on that, and that's fine. Feel free. But they don't have self-awareness. We've proven it time and time again. How can a creature that doesn't have self-awareness, how can they understand empathy, jealousy, envy? They can't because that requires self-awareness. Okay. So 
I love you, Vetex, for everything you do, but I just, I like, I want to make your lives better. I want to make your lives easier. I want to scream it from the rooftop of how you should approach a dog because what does a vet tech do when they first walk in this, right? Like, think about it from your dog's perspective. It's a cold, echoey place that smells like piss and crap, that smells like fearful dogs, anal gland explosions. You hear barking, you hear whining. They can smell the fear. I mean, they can. They can smell it in the air. And then this person that they don't know walks in and immediately, hey, it's okay. making direct eye contact, coming over. Everything that in the dog world says confrontation, fear, uneasiness, because that's not a proper greeting, guys. Like vet techs, I know your hearts are in the right place, but I hate to break it to you from the psychological behavioral perspective. <sighs> You're doing it wrong. I'm sorry, but you are. You're doing it wrong. I'm sorry I have to tell you. I'm not sorry because this is the truth and the reality of it. The vet techs that walk into the room, and first of all, again, I mean, to me, it's kind of a pet peeve thing. I would prefer a person that has walking in the room the first time say hello to me before they interact with my dog. Like, I don't know. I find it kind of rude personally to just ignore me. Um, that's just, I don't know, people disagree with me on that, that's fine, whatever, but I just, not to mention it would be better because then they're ignoring my dog and not confronting my dog that's already potentially in a nervous situation. Again, not every dog's nervous at the vet. One of my dogs, Violet, she is like, loves the vet. Like it's her favorite place in the freaking world. You'd swear we're taking her to Disneyland. She loves everybody, totally different. But I got news for you. Probably I'd go out on a limb and guess about 90% of dogs in the vet veterinarian's office in a veterinary setting are not going to be that way, okay? And even if they are happy and fine, if you ignore them, then the dog will approach you. Even better, super, wow, win-win, okay? So, like, I'm not trying to be a jerk, but it just amazes me that we have these vet techs working in these vet offices that, in my opinion, are not trained on me. They're trained on veterinarian stuff, like, through and through, right? They know how to do all that. That's fantastic, and thank goodness for that. But wouldn't it be amazing if they could take it a step further and focus on behavior and psychology? Because simple things like ignoring a dog when you walk in a room as opposed to immediately engaging with them can save you time because the dog is not going to be as fearful, fidgety, whatever. You're actually going to get a better result by taking that extra 10 seconds as opposed to minutes or, or hours potentially if you have to sedate or... I mean, you know what I mean? Like, don't get me wrong. There's some dogs out there that are just not going to cooperate and that's what it is. And you've got to do what you got to do. Don't get me wrong. But I think the vast majority of dogs that walk into a veterinary office, veterinarian's office could have a better experience if veterinary staff knew how to interact with them better when they are fearful and unsure. Okay. Something as simple as, again, walking in the room and not acknowledging the dog until they approach you, letting the dog approach you. And then once they sniff, maybe just Again, still ignoring. I'm just going to lean down with a cookie. Dog's over here somewhere, right? Off to my side. I'm just going to lean down with a cookie and give it to him. Not going to say anything. Not going to interact. Because here's the thing, guys. I'm not trying to be a jerk, but I might know a little something or two about this. Because the reality is, I walk into the same scenario in somebody's home. Yes, it's not a vet's office. But when I have an aggressive dog, a fearful dog, any type of whatever, a dog that's possessive over their home, it's a pretty similar scenario. I have to be able to get to this dog, interact with this dog, leash up this dog, be able to do something with them. And I can't just go and grab them, okay, for multiple reasons. One, I don't want to, and that's the other thing. How do you know you're not inadvertently, vet techs, how do you know you're not inadvertently making some behaviors these dogs have worse? 
Like, I'm not, uh, if we already have a dog that's got anxiety, fear, whatever, and we put them in an environment like a vet office that can be a little scary, a little intimidating, a little loud, and then we make it worse by the way we interact with them, like it, oh, it kills me. And complete honesty time. Complete honesty time. And I don't know, this will this will prove if my <clears throat> vet office still listens to the podcast. <laughs> We all know about Nemo. Those of you longtime listeners, if you don't know about Nemo in a nutshell, he was a rescue dog of mine. Is a rescue dog, still here. <laughs> uh, he's a rescue dog of mine. He's a blue tick coonhound. And guys, he came with a lot of very, very severe issues. Very severe. Uh, you know, and I love it. The vet office says how much they've seen him grow and seen him come along. And he's a very different dog. At the same time, at the vet office, he's still quite nervous. Part of one of Nemo's, the heart of his issue, honestly, is he does not like being trapped. And we have come a long way to the point that I can now crate him, take him in a car, <laughs> let him be in a house and let him not. Okay. That's how bad it was. We couldn't do any of those things, any form of trapped. So a vet office, when we have to grab him and then poke him and there again, this is what I'm, this is my point. There are some dogs that are just going to be a little bit nervous. And yes, we could probably work on that if I took him to the vet office once a week you know, work through it. Sure. But I can't do that. <laughs> I can't, I don't have that luxury. Right. So we can point is he's a lot better than he was. However, I'm just being honest. We had a new vet tech. She came in the room with a slip leash. Now my dog already has a leash on. It's already leashed up with a martingale collar. He's ready to go. He's just laying down on the ground and she comes in with a slip leash. And I mean, to say this girl was green, she looked like a forest with how green she was. Those of you who don't know green, it means new. <laughs> she came in with this slip leash. And I mean like creeping toward Nemo. And I could see it instantly. He was nervous. He's like, what the is this chick doing? She's literally like creeping toward him going, hey, Hi, it's okay. And you can tell he's just, it's just making him more and more nervous. She's over-engaging, making eye contact, coming in above his head, using a ridiculous tone. And he's like, what the F is going on, dad? He went to roll over at her like, dude, I don't want trouble. And she keeps coming in with this leash at him. And I admit it. You know, Nemo's not perfect. He let out a low growl. I'm not happy about it, of course. But he let out a low growl. He was trying to warn her because he's going, dude, you're making me uncomfortable. And she kept moving in. I honestly don't know if she heard it, but those are those kinds of things, vet techs. You better damn well be listening for that. I, I'm not trying, again, not trying to be a jerk, but you're walking into an unknown dog. He's doing this to you. And your move is let's keep moving in over him and making him more nervous. What's already making him nervous, and you're not listening for that low growl, you're not watching his behavior, his body language. That's a potentially very dangerous situation. And luckily, Nemo, that's as far as he wanted to take it. We dealt with it. And I had to look at her. I said, hey, do me a favor. Just pick up my leash, take him, and go. And she did, sort of. <laughs> she half hesitated. It was better than before. I said, don't even say anything to him. Just go. And she was like, "Try." you can tell she like didn't want. <laughs> and Nemo was like, I don't want to go with this chick. She is so unsure. I'm, I, you really want to leave me with this girl? She doesn't know what the hell she's talking about. Oh, yeah. So a potentially dangerous situation. Potentially a dangerous situation at my own vet's office. 
Look, guys, it can't be perfect. And this girl was new. She can't be perfect either. We have to, this is the crappy thing about working with animals. And all you guys out there that work with animals, you know, you know exactly what I'm talking about. Sometimes you have to learn through failure. And sometimes you got to get bit in this industry. And it stinks. It stinks. I don't want anybody getting bit. But unfortunately, it's a part of the working with animals, working with a canine, working with a what? Predator, domesticated wolf. Don't forget it. Whew. All right. So vet techs, look, I implore you, if you have behavior specialists or trainers in your area who are willing to put on classes, veterinarians, I'm talking to you as well. I Please hire them, guys. I mean this with all due respect. I am the first to admit it. I am not a biology expert. I am not an anatomy expert. I am not a veterinary expert. I'm not a medicine expert. I am not a nutritionist when it comes to dogs. I am the first to admit that. It is not my expertise and I will not give advice in those areas and anywhere I know I cannot because I am not the expert. It's not what I do well in. However, I am an animal behavior specialist. Worked with dogs and animals a very long time. All different kinds of species of exotic animals. You name it. Pretty much. Almost. I like to think I at least have learned a thing or two and I've gained enough knowledge to know what I know and to not know what I don't know. Vet techs, veterinarians, your specialty is the biology, is the veterinarian, is the medicine, is all those amazing life-saving things that help our animals. But what you don't know, you don't know. And I implore you to gain knowledge in it. Ask somebody in your area to help out because we would love to. We'd love to be a part of the process. We'd love to make dogs less nervous. That's what, that's what I love. That's my job. It's what I want to do, you know? I want to help dogs from a psychological standpoint and hand them to you when they need the medical help, right? So please, I implore you, do your own research, do your own reading, hire somebody in the area. Learn a little more about how just changing something like your posture and your first interaction with a dog can truly be a safer and healthier interaction for everybody. Next on Speaking Dogcast, it's the history of Animal Mascots 101. Today, we'll be talking about James Madison University. Now, originally, James Madison University was founded in 1908 as the State Normal and Industrial School for Women. Then the school went, uh, underwent a few name changes before it was named Madison College in 1938 in honor of President James Madison, then becoming James Madison University in 1977. Now, the school became co-ed in 1946, and the main campus is located in Harrisonburg, Virginia. The school competes in Division I football and have a great mascot because it's a bulldog. Yes, Bulldog named Duke Dog. And actually, James Madison University, any of you college football fans you've been seeing, they've been doing pretty darn well this year. Currently 8-0, I believe ranked number 25, 23, 25 at the moment. Uh, Probably should have looked that up again before I started the segment, but that's all right. (laughs) Because you know what? No offense to James Madison University, but come on, guys. (laughs) You compete in the Sun Belt. Let's be real. Play an SEC team and uh, then we'll talk. Let's see how long that 8-0 lasts, right? Okay, now, the nickname actually came before the Bulldog. Yes, the Dukes. Now, the school had already been using the nickname the Dukes, named after the university's president from 1919 to 1949, Samuel Page Duke. Yes, the Dukes was officially adopted in 1947. The Bulldog, on the other hand, 
did not make it onto the scene until the 1972-1973 school year. The early version of the mascot was a little wild-eyed and maybe not so convincing, and so he didn't stick around very long, no. But the current version of Duke, uh, Duke the Dog, he was created by Dr. Ray V. Soner, the vice president for university relations. Now, he came up with the idea of using a bulldog as the mascot, and then the Duke cartoon dog. Now, soon after, Sooner, uh, sooner, 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 sooner. Uh, there you go. He commissioned a professionally made costume to be worn by student volunteers. The eight foot tall mascot even comes complete with a crown and cape. I love it. Super Duke. He made his debut in 1982 when the Dukes played the Virginia Military Institute, winning the game 58 to 53. Now, in the 2004 football season, the Capital One College Mascot of the Year competition ended up creating some controversy involving Duke. Now, Duke had actually, and actually I, I remember this, Duke had ended up winning the popular vote where fans from around the country cast him to be the winner of the contest. But because there were judges involved and their votes were counted, he actually lost the competition to Monty, the grizzly bear mascot from the University of Montana, of course. Mon Monty, Montana. After fans were outraged that Duke did not win, Capital One changed the contest the following year, so the winner would be decided solely on the decision of the fans. The answer to today's trivia question, what semi-aquatic animal has the largest teeth of any living land mammal? It's the hippopotamus. Yes, the hippos with their canines that can grow up to almost two feet in length. Next on Speak a Dog Cast, it's the listener Q&A. The first question today comes from Janet from Medford, New York. Janet says, I was curious what your favorite breed of dog is. Now, I heard you say on one of your episodes that your least favorite dog is the doodle, <laughs> but I wanted to know what your favorite breed is. What a great question, Janet. Uh, look, I'm not, yeah, I, I didn't sugarcoat it. Doodles are not exactly my favorite breed to work with. They're the hot breed, and a lot of it is the wrong people getting the wrong dog, and maybe not necessarily the breed at the same time. Uh, I think it's a lot of irresponsible breeding that creates the issues with doodles that we might see, but that's that's not what you asked. <laughs> you asked what my favorite breed is. My favorite breed is the Golden Retriever, hands down, not even a question. I think they're the best all-around dog. Are there some dogs that are smarter than a Golden Retriever? Of course. Are there a lot of dogs dumber than a Golden Retriever? You betcha. Uh, <laughs> but to me, they're very easy to train. They're family-oriented. They're good with kids. They have soft mouths. Sure, there are circumstances. I have seen some very, very misbehaving, uh, misbehaved Golden Retrievers in my experience and in my time. So it's not to say you just, you get a Golden and it's a wonderful dog. It always comes back to training and putting the time in. But again, to me, the most well-rounded, and well-bred for the most part, somewhat, well, that's again a different story for a different day on where the Golden Retriever line is going uh, nowadays, today, but my favorite breed, hands down, Golden Retriever. Next question. This comes from Jimmy from Miami, Florida. Jimmy says, what is your favorite type of animal to work with? Uh, Jimmy, I'm assuming you mean like favorite species, favorite type of animal. Um, you know, dogs are up there, right? Dogs dogs are, are, are a very close tied number one, if you will, because obviously I, I chose to go that direction with dogs. I do love working with dogs. I think they're just such amazing, phenomenal creatures. But I would say my favorite, if I went like top, really kind of maybe even at times beating out dogs, primates. I loved working with primates. I really did. Monkeys, even apes. Um, some of the work I did was just really... <laughs> 
humbling is the way to put it. Humbling working with an animal so smart, so fast, so quick, uh, just really neat, really fascinating to me. It blows my mind. So primates always really good. I would say a close number two besides dogs, like if we're just going wild in, because I think that's probably more what you're thinking and what you're asking. Um, the other one is going to be birds of prey. I absolutely fell in love with working with hawks, owls, vultures, especially vultures. I was very surprised by vultures. When I first started working with the birds I did, I was like, vultures, whatever, whatever. But then the more I worked with them, the more I understood them, and the more they just, they, they blew my mind. I think they're such incredible birds. So vultures are pretty cool. So birds of prey, uh, right behind primates, and then the dogs are kind of, you know, they're right in there. That's going to wrap up the podcast today. Thank you so much for listening in. If you haven't clicked that subscribe or that follow button, do so right now. New episodes come out every Wednesday and you're going to want to check them out. You can also follow me on Instagram at speakadogcast. Find me on YouTube at speakadogcast. Become a patron of the show today at patreon.com slash speakadogcast. And if you love what you're hearing, do me a favor, scroll down, click that five-star rating, leave me a review, give me the thumbs up on my YouTube channel. I want to thank my patrons, my pup supporter, Regula Wright, and my dog friend, Maureen Cross. Have a wonderful week, and don't forget to get out there and walk your dog. Thank you.